Hi, hello, how are you? My name is Elizabeth Dale and I am a Cornish writer and blogger and sometimes podcaster. I'm ever so sorry, it seems a really long time since I was last here. I hope you're all well. I hope you're having a good day. Thank you so much for joining me. For those of you that haven't been here before, I basically talk about some weird and wonderful, unusual, untold stories of Cornwall's history. It's the kind of thing that you're not going to find anywhere else. I kind of hunt down those tales just for you here and I'm sure today is going to be no different than usual. Now just one little thing that I wanted to say right at the start of the episode and that is I would really appreciate it guys if you could subscribe and like and follow and share my stuff. I'm really trying to expand this podcast a little bit because I'm really enjoying um, what we're doing here so I would really love it if you could do that for me. Anyway, let's get down to business and uh, this story, as so often they seem to do, begins with me bumbling around in the countryside looking for something obscure in a field. Um, And this time I actually found what I was looking for and that was a Treverven standing stone which is not far from Land's End, sort of between St Berrien and Penberth Cove and close to a farm that's called Burnerwall. And the stone is quite close to a footpath um, which goes across some fields um, on your way to St Berrien Church. And it's a really lovely stone. It's quite irregular in shape, so it kind of looks different from whatever angle you're viewing it from. A really lovely piece of granite, about two metres tall. Anyway, I drove away thinking that I would go home, I would do a bit of research and hopefully write a blog post about this particular stone because as you well know I just love highlighting sort of the the lesser known ancient sites that we have dotted all over Cornwall. But as it happens this one really isn't well known and by that I mean that there's barely anything written about it, there's no um, excavations, there's no research connected to it and no one really other than me had paid it much mind it seemed so I really struggled to find enough to warrant a whole blog post about it and it kind of just got filed away in my brain but there was one story that I came across that was directly connected to the area around the stone and to the footpath that runs along beside it and therefore in my mind was associated with the stone itself And that story was of little folks, of changelings and magical realms and piskies. Now everyone knows that Cornwall is just full of piskies. It's just part of our culture these days in a quite light-hearted way. You know, you've got your bumper stickers and you've got your key rings. But in the past, people took these ideas really seriously. I mean, these little chaps were literally everywhere, it seems. They were part of people's life and they were renowned for causing all kinds of mischief. I don't think there's much need for me to go into any depth explaining what piskies are or who they were or anything like that. I think we all know that they were little folk and that there were different kinds in different places like the knockers that were in the mines and that they were 
considered a little naughty, a little malevolent sometimes, and sometimes very helpful. There are all kinds of theories as to where Piskies came from. Some say that they are the spirits of an ancient Cornish race. One rather depressing legend says that they are the souls of infants who have died before they could be baptised. And then there was another story that I read. um, It was put forward by a guy called Mr Toms of Truro. He said that the moths that grieving people see and used to believe were the souls of their departed loved ones were actually piskies in disguise. Anyway, wherever they come from and whatever form they take, they were very much in the business of stealing children and replacing them with an enchanted child or changeling and of course leading unsuspecting folks astray. Now this in Cornwall is known as being pixie-led or pisky-led and in the past I have joked that this um, tended to happen to men on their way home from the pub but there is no getting away from the fact that the stories of being people being pisky-led are numerous and there are particular areas of moorland or trackways that became notorious for it. In this episode I'm going to cover a couple of these stories, stories where people were led astray or even disappeared into a fairy realm. And one of those happened very close to the Standing Stone at Treverven, sometime in the 17th century, it's thought. And the other happened near the village of St. Alan near Truro in much more recent history. So our first story involves a man called William Noy, who was riding from St Berrien to either Burnawall Farm or Selina Farm, which is nearby. Now, the account that I've read was written in the 19th century, and it said at the time that these events had happened 200 years previous, hence me suggesting that it all took place in the 17th century. And I had a quick look in the parish records for St. Berrien and there was a Noy family living in the area at that time. So anyway, William is riding along a path that passes the Treverven Standing Stone. But the area was apparently quite different then. It was um, less cultivated and it's described as a bit of a wilderness, moorland uh, really. And uh, also was said to have, and I quote, quaking bogs which sounds very exciting. And on this journey, which was a fairly short one, especially on horseback, William Noy vanishes. His friends and relations go out searching for him, assuming that he and his horse have run into some kind of difficulty or had an accident. Maybe they'd fallen in a quaking bog. Anyway, they search for three days and three nights and they can't find any trace of him. And then just as they're about to give up, they find him sound asleep inside the walls of a ruined cottage with his horse hitched to a tree nearby. Now, everyone is very confused by this because they have been scouring the area for days and suddenly there he is. So they wake him up and William seems very dazed and seems to have no sense of the time or how long he's been missing for. And for some time, he really just can't explain it. And then gradually he starts to remember the strange events that had befallen him. William tells his family that he was crossing the moor between St Berrien and the coast. And of course, 
I imagine him as being somewhere near the standing stone. But anyway, his horse begins to act quite strangely and refuses to go on. So as it's getting dark, he decides to to give the animal its head, you know, to trust the animal to pick its way through the marshy ground on its own. But unfortunately, William realises quite quickly that they have somehow become completely lost and he has no idea where he is. Then to his relief, he starts to hear music and he can see sort of the the flickering um, of candlelight through the trees. And he decides to head in that direction to get help, but his horse refuses to move. So William hitches it to a tree and continues on foot towards the lights. Now he comes out into a clearing and there's a pretty old cottage surrounded by fruit trees. And outside the cottage is a young woman dressed in white and playing a fiddle. But as William's eyes adjusted to the flickering candlelight, he realises that she is not alone. The girl was in fact playing for what he described as hundreds of little people who were whirling around at a giddy speed to the music. The Piskies were said to be feasting and drinking and generally having a wonderful time and rather than being frightened by it all, William found it irresistible and he made the move to go and join in. Just as he was about to join the Piskies in their dancing, the girl dressed in white stopped playing and grabbed William's arm and tried to pull him away. And it was at that moment that William realised that he knew the young woman and that it was actually his sweetheart, Grace Hutchins, who had lived at Selina Farm and who had died three years earlier. Of course, William is absolutely overjoyed to see her and immediately went to hug her. But she told him, no, no, you must not kiss me or eat any fruit from the trees or pick any of the flowers here because everything you see is enchanted. And then she went to tell him her story. And Grace says that three years before, she had been crossing her the moor on her way to see him when she got lost. And she thought that she heard William's voice calling her name. So she sort of wandered off the path and suddenly she was in an orchard full of beautiful fruit and she ate a plum from one of the trees and from that moment on she was stuck in that place forever. She told him that she was forced to look after the little people and the numerous changelings that they brought her. In fact Grace said that the body in St. Berrien Churchyard with Grace Hutchins name on the headstone, the body that William and her family had buried, wasn't her at all. It was the body of a changeling that the Piskies had left for them to find. Grace told him all kinds of other odd things about the Piskies, that they stole human babies because they couldn't have many of their own, that they were very, very old, some more than a thousand years old, that they kept a herd of goats to feed the changeling babies their milk, and that they worshipped the stars. After hearing Grace's story, William started to become very worried and frightened and decided that they needed to escape, to get away from the Piskies as quickly as they possibly could. And he remembered the story that to break a Pisky spell, you had to turn a piece of clothing inside out. So quick as a flash, he took off a glove and turned it inside out and threw it at the crowd of dancing Piskies. 
All at once, everything around him changed. The pretty little cottage became a ruin, the fruit trees disappeared and became moorland, and the little people vanished. But so did his beloved Grace, and he realised to his dismay that he had forgotten to take her with him. Suddenly exhausted, William fell down into a deep sleep, and that was how he was found. Sadly, though, William... As he remembered what had happened, he became full of grief and guilt for leaving Grace behind and he began to pine away for her. He refused to believe that she was gone and he returned to the place where he had seen her again and again and the legend says that he searched for her until the day he died and was buried alongside her in St Berrien Churchyard. But apparently there were some folks that said that he wasn't really buried there at all and that he had found his way back to the enchanted cottage and grace and that the Piskies had left a changeling in his place. Now our second story also tells the tale of someone who disappeared into a magical realm and it takes place in the tiny hamlet of St Alan, which is really not much more than a church that has three beautiful Celtic crosses in the graveyard, and a farm that is two or three miles north of Truro between Zela and St Erm. So, according to Tony Dean and Tony Shaw, who were the authors of a really great 1970s book about Cornish folklore, This particular story was still quite current in the area while they were doing their research. And it goes something like this. Apparently, a young boy was picking wildflowers one summer's evening um, in a small woodland close to his home in St. Alan. And his mother called to him when it was time for tea. And that was when she realised that he was nowhere to be seen. For three days, the villagers frantically searched for the child, but there was absolutely no sign of him. But the search suddenly ended on the third day when the mother found the boy sleeping peacefully exactly where she had last seen him playing. Now there are a couple of different versions about what he said had actually happened to him. And both stories agree that he told a story of being lured away from his home by the sound of beautiful music. And in one version... He found himself beside a tranquil lake and there was a beautiful lady that led him into an underground cavern made of crystal with a roof that was supported by glass pillars. In the other version, he is said to have told them that he went into a deep woodland and as the night fell, the boy saw that the sky was full of bright stars. But he suddenly realised that each star wasn't a star at all. It was really a pisky flying over him. And these fairy folk, they led him into this crystal cave. The piskies fed him warm honey and lulled him to sleep. And when he woke up, he was back at home with his mother. Now, unfortunately, we have no date whatsoever for when this story could have taken place. And I have gone through the newspaper archives looking for any lost children in the Truro or St. Allen area. And I haven't been able to find anything. The newspaper archive, however, only goes back to sort of the early 18th century. So it's possible that something like this happened before and it was just remembered within the community for hundreds of years afterwards. 
both stories have a quite similar theme this idea of someone being lured away by music or by lights by shiny things and going to a magical place where everything is sweeter and brighter and and more fun and I guess stories like this are fun they're they're fairy tale like aren't they and they really they seem like they bear very little connection to real life but I think it's important to remember that these ideas, the idea of of magical beings, of piskies and fairies and, and them stealing you away was very real to people in the past. And the idea of changelings, that babies could be taken and, and replaced, this was one, uh, an idea that went well into the 19th century. And I found a newspaper article in 1890 where a man called Mr Cornish... I don't know if that's his real name or not, but that's what the newspaper said. Mr. Cornish, the town clerk of Penzance, he claimed in an article um, that had been written about folklore that he knew a man who had a pisky in his home and that the two of them would sit down together in front of the fire and this little man, this little person, would help him with all his problems. I also read an account of a woman in 1954 who was still leaving a bowl of cream outside for the piskies so that when she was churning butter, it wouldn't spoil. And I suppose it's just a fact that some of those superstitions were real hangers-on as, as part of our, our Cornish culture. But of course, there were always the doubters, those people that really didn't like the idea of the Cornish being still superstitious and what they saw as backward. And an article appeared in the Royal Cornwall Gazette, published in July 1890, that basically said anyone claiming to be pisky-led was probably just whiskey-led. Anyway, I don't think we should analyse these tales too much. If anything, it just takes the fun out of them. And I really hope that you've enjoyed these two pisky tales today. Um, let me know what you think. If you want a bit more mythology on this podcast, let me know. And really do go and hunt down the Trevervan Standing Stone because it's a beauty. And it's a shame that not many people know it's there. But obviously watch out for the piskies and if you do disappear into a magical realm be sure not to eat any fruit and to remember to turn a piece of clothing inside out okay that's it from me thank you ever so much for listening i really hope you've enjoyed it don't forget to like and share and comment and all that jazz <laughs> until next time thank you so much for listening bye